I have a hot take this week, guys. Hit us. Plastic water bottles. I'm Are against you... them. Okay, one against, two against. I'm completely against them. So, Henry? I mean, I feel like very few people are for them, but they are in a lot of parts of the world. If I was going to give any positive argument for them, which is really hard to do because plastic is destroying our oceans. But in a lot of parts of the world where they don't have access to clean water, you find that plastic water bottles have served a pressing need that we need a better solution for. HD, you immediately go to to the... It's let's, because he's, let's, he's let's, a representative oh. for boxed water, dude. <laughs> so, boxed so, water is pretty cool. But, Cows, you have like an irrational fear of them, which I, I'm not sure I share with you. but Multiple, multiple rational reasons why I'm scared of plastic water bottles. But he, here's where my hot take gets even hotter is uh, reusable water bottles I'm also against completely. Mm. Um, yeah. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. When you look at any footage pre- 2000 is anyone walking around chilling with their reusable plastic like water bottle is anyone walking around with a water bottle no and that's why your take is hot no. because early 2000s footage yeah you're, no. you're trying to humanity has lived for tens of thousands of years and no one has needed the to walk around with water bottles all over the place but no like Today, we all have to carry around this big, huge water bottle and nurse it all day long. It's like, guys, just find a water fountain. So you're pro water fountain. I'm pro uh, water fountain, spigot, uh, sink. Uh, just whenever there's running water, just just it's yours. But yeah, not, likes do, do not carry that, that stuff around. You love sucking on the mouthpiece of the water, water. The fountain. tot. I love, yeah. <laughs> I love, I love the udder. Uh, no. Uh, so I, I don't know if you guys read, there was this like article that was, here's the thing is for years, I was very big on just absolutely shaming plastic water bottles, hating them. And everyone called me crazy. I was like, you watch in a couple of years, it's going to come out that something crazy is in those plastic water bottles. And uh, a bunch of articles this week have come out about how much particles, like plastic particles, are in water bottles and um, how, like, that can just go into your system. And I don't know about you guys, but, like, even though the fish have plastic particles in their system doesn't mean I want to have plastic particles in my system. But what about those really expensive ones? You know, like Fiji... Um, you know, with the high pHs, the alkalines, you're telling me if I'm paying five ninety nine for a bottle of water, I'm also getting plastic. You are, you are basically first off, you are glorifying an industry where all they do is manufacture plastic. That's all they're doing, really. They're they're not even manufacturing like clean water. They're just creating plastic and sending it to your doorstep. So they're uh, bottling it from the source, Mackenzie. Right, right. Like the commercials, they go right up to the stream and just pour it in and pick it up. And no, no, that's absolute BS. But in the Fujian Hills, Fletch only drinks Voss water, but um... when I drink water, it's Voss. <laughs> I just, I think it's it's an incredibly 
ridiculous industry, plastic water bottles. Now, like everything HD, I'm sure it has real utility <laughs> in poorer countries and in areas that do not have any sort of water infrastructure. I get that most countries don't have drinkable water coming right out of the the spigot of their bathrooms. I get that. I learned my lesson the hard way when I went to Mexico and drank out of a fount- a, a spigot and got Giardia for three months. But Very true. <laughs> found that out on the plane ride home. Uh, <laughs> but was that from the water or the fact that when you drink out of the spigot, you tend to kind of get in there? Um, well, no, no, no. There's no mouth to nozzle. It's you got to have some space between the spigot and your mouth. But yeah. I Googled where I was in Mexico and I <laughs> I looked it up and it was like every other article said a completely opposite things. So like one article was like they have the cleanest drinking water in their in their uh, plumbing. And then like another article was like their water is the source of Giardia for most people in, in Mexico or whatever. And so it's like, well, I'm just going to take my chances. And I did it. And I regret every second of it. It was the worst experience of my life. <laughs> And you've been um, peeing while sitting down ever since. I've been peeing and sitting down ever since because you never know. You never yep. know when that ninth it's, inning. So you think you've been peeing, but it's really just been coming out the other end because of the Giardia. Uh, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> this all makes sense. <laughs> it makes I love how most of our intros just start out with us talking about peeing or pooping in some capacity. We, just, we can't. We can't. We just move. have to find the common threads of what makes humans human. So <laughs> peeing, pooping, eating, drinking. We're breathing, normalizing it. Swimming. We're normalizing it. So with that, with this normalization, uh, are you guys ready to get started? Yeah, I'm. I'm born ready. Let me go get my plastic water bottle real fast. Oh. Sit down on the toilet. If you can give your community permission, especially when it can go a long way, and only from that place of peace can a relationship truly be reconciled. (laughs) But if I stop and create a little space, then there's that meaningful response, then I can actually check in with myself. What's up, y'all? Uh, welcome back to Dudes with Feelings. We are three dudes in this conversation uh, with a whole lot of feelings. And we're excited for this episode because we're going to kind of try something new with y'all. Um, one of the things we find ourselves talking about throughout the week is relevant uh, examples, people in pop culture, in lifestyle, different people, or it could be TikTokers, whatever, um, that come up and just kind of asking relevant and real world questions around this idea of being an integrated, healthy man and how that shows up in our everyday world. And so we've each gone into our own um, Pandora's box to search for an example that we want to kind of bring to the table and talk about that might surface some interesting questions or conversations around this idea of healthy manhood um, and masculinity. So Without further ado, who's uh, who's starting today? Who's got a, a piece of media we can we can dive into? I'd love to start with Fletch's. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I yes, think it's the only way to start. I watched it right before coming on because I was like, what is the caption got me curious. So um, uh, HDS. <laughs> Mine's way more predictable for me. Uh, Mine is yeah. extremely predictable for me. Yeah, um, okay. But let's start with Fletch's. So Fletch, why don't you give us some context about the piece that we're, we're about to, to watch? <clears throat> My two favorite NFL teams just played the Eagles and the Bucks. I cheer for the Eagles every time they play, except for when they play the Bucks. Bucks are my hometown team. And I don't know what happened to the Eagles halfway through the season, a little further than halfway, but they just started playing like booty. And I've noticed that a lot of Eagles fans have now been hating on the Eagles, especially the head coach. And so when they came and played the Bucks in this wild card game, the Bucks just absolutely dominated the whole entire game, which was pretty awesome for Tampa and all the Bucks fans. And so after the game, there is always, you know, people want to see the post-game interviews and, you know, players talking about the game. Um, and they also are curious whether uh, the Eagles coach, head coach, is going to be sticking around. Um, so that is the, uh, the context I'll give you before we watch this video. Okay, <laughs> so Nick, Nick Sirianni is the head coach for the Eagles, and as he's leaving the game, this fan who you know supports the same team that he coaches for <laughs> gets a whole thing of popcorn and throws it on him. Okay, so why I brought this up as an example is um, there was a, a comment that really kind of prompted and, and – um, poked me in a certain way that if you peel back the layers of this, this is a grown man throwing popcorn, wearing an Eagles jersey with a helmet, throwing that popcorn on another grown man. Yeah. Grown, grown men throwing popcorn and wearing Eagle helmets shows you everything you need to know about them. <laughs> Which mind you on the Eagles head coach, the, the team that he is a fan of. Number one. You're at a higher elevation, okay? You know Sirianni just lost the game. He's already feeling bad, probably, you know, contemplating his future and everything. Why are you going to throw popcorn on the guy? Like, what prompts that? I think they need Vince Papali. That, that'll that <laughs> solve the problem. <laughs> just get Vince. Or Mark Wahlberg, up. one of the two. It's pretty much the same person, so. That's true. That that sports conversation on like the irrationality, like it, it almost like the the impassioned fan in sports. I mean, Eagles fans are the ultimate extreme. Um, just completely lose sight of like what is okay uh, in terms of like action and treating people. Like in what other context does that ever fly? And I, I bet you no one even really batted it an eye. Maybe, <laughs> but no one's. Th I mean. I maybe the I don't know what the Iowa caucus was like this week, but I don't think anyone was throwing popcorn on DeSantis. Well, here's the thing, right? It's like there are so many people that I've come across who have this philosophy for how to treat other people or whatever. And then as soon as they get in front of a screen and watch ESPN, or as soon as they sit in front of a screen and watch a political debate, they say things about people they don't even know mm -hmm. that are heinous and horrible and um i don't know like what causes that separation between like oh i treat every human like you know like they have some trauma but if until they get behind a podium 
and try to explain why they lost or get behind a podium and try to explain their political opinions. We just pounce on them. Yeah. I think there's a lot of heightened emotion too. Um, and I think that uh, when you mix heightened emotion with alcoholic beverages, uh, it can lead to irrational decision-making. And I'm talking about in this case in particular. Yeah. I think yeah, for sports, I was about to say, yeah. I'm sure alcohol yeah. in like a political debate. Is- I would love to see like a Bud Light sponsor a political <laughs> debate. Right. I would just, it needs to happen. It's America. <laughs> it, it probably, I'm surprised if, if it hasn't already a little Budweiser. Commercialized yeah. political debates would be ridiculous. Commercialization. Okay. Well, there's, there's one uh, one other point I want to make here because I think it's an interesting piece of context if you're not a sports fan is to realize the year before the Eagles were in the Super Bowl. They had one of the best seasons anyone's ever had. They were 15 and one or like 16 and one. They flew through to the Super Bowl. They ended up losing the Super Bowl, but had a remarkable season, right? So Nick Sirianni is being put on a pedestal. All the Eagles fans love him. He's the greatest thing that's ever ha- that's happened since sliced bread, right? We we love him as long as he's he's giving us what we want. Right. And then the second they start losing, they go one and six in their last to, to finish the season. They end up losing in the playoffs. And all of a sudden, I can't stand him. I hate him. Get him out of here. You're done, Nick. That's what he's you're done, Nick. Right. What was he yelling a year ago? Right. And, and how often in our life are we just loving someone because they're giving us what we want? Right. And, and I don't even think we can call that love. Like that is so conditional and it's it's so selfish. And there is such a selfishness there. There's no humanity, um, and and I see that beyond sports. Just this idea of it, and I and I'm sure I do it in my own life that that it's easy to love people when when they're easy to love and they're giving us what we want. And the second that they stop giving us that, we stop loving them. I think what you said about stripping humanity is so huge, um, and it is 100% conditional love. That is conditional love at its core at its like most blatant example is when in like sports or politics is it's like as soon as you have an opinion about what should happen your humanity kind of starts going away your empathy starts going away your compassion starts sinking and i think i think it's a lot about i think a lot of times there's a lot of people who go into it thinking a lot of men especially thinking uh, I could do a better job. Like, this is obvious. This is not mm-hmm. something that's hard. Um, and why don't we just do this? Why didn't they just do that? And I think it's a lot easier to say that and then another thing to be into the thicket and realize, like, there's a lot more uh, variables that go into this than just here's the right decision for the post-game opinion. Um I don't know. That's kind of where I think a lot of it comes and, from. You is know, it's a male need to feel like they know what the solution is in every situation. Mm. And yeah, and the solution here was not to dump popcorn on the on the head coach because, yeah, I I just feel like it's so ironic to it coming from a city of of brotherly love, you know, and that is not that's not brotherly love. I think also too. Uh, something that caught my eye about the video is what happens when like a group of men come together is they feel more inclined to do something like that to then like make their friends laugh. And if that guy's there by himself, who's filming, right? Is it just like another fan? 
no, it's probably one of his friends. Like, oh, when Sirianni comes, I'm going to dump this popcorn on his head. You know, and what happens? It's a prime example of that, like, mentality that a lot of young boys start with, which is I have to prove my manhood to everyone. And I do that through humor or I do that through strength or I through that mm-hmm. do that through fearlessness. And I see like all three kind of playing out in this example where he's doing it to prove a point. Um, and he's putting his anger on display to show people that he is manly and that yeah. he is masculine. It'd be a- really interesting to like rewind this clip and then like, be like, okay, what could he have done? And then, you know what I'm saying is like give, almost give him an opportunity to like give it, do a take two. Right. And I wonder what he, what he thinks about it now that he's had some space because it's clear to me he's unregulated, you know, and, and what we'll do when we're unregulated is who knows because we're unregulated. You know, we have no, there's literally the part of our brain that thinks like in rational thoughts is being turned off. So I don't think there was anything rational going on here. Just a lot of, emotions that he didn't know how to deal with he might have he might have told the media that the popcorn slipped a lot of butter a lot of butter well he he got what i think his real intention was and not to try to play god here and assume what his intention was but he's on barstool sports you know like he he is the example of a guy who is into sports and is into his team and so much so that he's on you know one of the most popular more masculine Instagram accounts and got a lot of views and attention because of it. And I'm sure there's a lot of people in, in the comments who aren't hating, but are also like, yeah, screw, screw the Eagles coach. You know, he's screwed everything up. That's right. All right. Shall we keep moving? Yeah. HD, give us some context on yours. Okay. I mean, I'll, I'll jump in. We're going to stay in the sports world. Um, So there was a game uh, and it was the last game of the season, and it was a win-in-your-end situation between the Colts and the uh, the Texans. Um, win-in-your-end being, like, if you win this game, you make it to the playoffs. It's the last game of the season. And a little little backstory on the, on the Texans quarterback. He was the second overall pick in the draft this past year. He's someone who's overcome a lot of adversity. A lot of people thought he would be a bust. Hence why my favorite team didn't pick him, which is painful personally. Um, but regardless, this guy wins this big game, right? And, and everyone, of course, like we're spotlighting. We're in the celebrity culture, especially the quarterback in the NFL. Everyone wants to shine the spotlight on him and say why he saved this franchise that won three games last year and this year is now making it into the playoffs and even last week won their first playoff game. So this is how C.J. Stroud, the Texan quarterback, responds to this big win. Welcome to the playoffs. How does that sound to you? Man, it's a blessing. I can't do nothing but just thank my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, man. I'm sorry. I put a lot of work in. My team has everybody counting us out from the, from the start. So, man, it's just special to see the city of Houston just on a come up again. And um, I'm just blessed enough to be the vessel that, that Christ picked to, to lead this great franchise. So I can do nothing but just thank the Lord. I'm just curious, we could see you writing something on your wristband as you came out of the tunnel to start the game. What was it? Yes, ma'am, I put a a lot of stuff, but I put a cross, um, triple sevens, and then to the glory of God. Um, And then I put Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, which is my favorite scripture, made for this. I put STM, which is my group of friends back home, and I put Long Live S3, my cousin who passed away that introduced me to football. And then I put the Inland Empire, where 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 I come from. 
CJ, you introduced yourself to a national NFL audience tonight. Just what do you think that you, you showed everyone? Um, I, I think it's not me. It, it's my teammates, my, my linemen, uh, my receivers running great routes, my running backs doing their job, our tight ends, our defense being very great. It's not just me out there. Uh, but I think tonight we showed the world what the Texans can do, and we're going to continue to do that. You told me that all week you kept reminding yourself, just you is good enough. Why was it important for you to keep telling yourself that? I, I just feel like God wouldn't put nothing on me that I couldn't handle. And um, I feel like who I am as a person, the work I know I put in, that, that's, that's plenty. And that, that might be just uh, too much. You know, I, I, I put my blood, sweat, and tears into this. And it, it's, just, it's just really cool to see the fruits of your labor uh, come out, man. And, and I'm just super blessed. Congratulations on the win. And again, welcome to the playoffs. Thank you, man. Appreciate you. God bless. Yeah, first... What's what's funny, HD, is when you first started playing it, I uh, I mean, it was like, oh gosh, like these these in the like in the field interviews that happen at sports games. I, you know my opinion on this. I'm just mm-hmm. I always I always look at these in the field sports like interviews in the middle of a game or at the end of the game as the most pointless interviews ever. Um, but for the once, like it seems like he said some pretty valuable, interesting stuff about him personally. And mm-hmm. I think that's uh, that's a, a refresh than what we normally get, which is just we worked hard, you know, coach coach practiced us hard, but it just wasn't good enough. And we're going to try again, you know, like just like n- no actual value into their comments. So I, 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 I'm it's cool to see a refresh of of these interviews and actually see something come out of his personality in that or have something shine in his personality, like his mm. spirituality. Mm. Yeah, Fletch, I want to I hear your reaction, then I'll share why I picked this. I think it's cool. Number one, the first thing that like just, or my overall take on it is how many kids are watching him? How many like humans, but especially kids are watching him. And instead of taking that spotlight and saying, me, 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 he does something really cool, which I think is talking about something that really matters to him, which is his faith. And um, that was, I mean, that's something that I feel like is just raw and authentic to who he is. And in that heightened emotional state, I think it's, there's so much that's coming up and he chooses to use that two minutes to really highlight um his relationship with Jesus, which I thought is, is cool power to him. Yeah. And, you know, obviously I love the, you know, being, being a person of faith myself, like that part was really, really inspiring and cool for me. I think for like the larger point here for me is, is, uh, an example of healthy humility that is, that felt really authentic. Like he, we live in a culture in which we're the the idea of the self-made man is so celebrated, right? We all we all want to like think that we built it, we pulled pulled ourselves up by our bootstraps and created something out of nothing, right? And that's so celebrated in the American dream. I think the truth of it is no one is a self-made man, right? It does take a village. It 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 takes so much for us to to actually when we do achieve something, um, for us to get to that point. And a lot of people, when they get to the point of achieving that that big goal or that thing they've they've dreamed of, they want to claim that. They want to own that. Like, that was me. That was all me. Like, I worked so hard. And yeah, you worked hard. But think about how many people you had to, that carried you there. 
And so in that, obviously his faith in God, but also his friend group and his coaches and his, he, he continued to list everyone except himself. When I know that guy works harder than anyone in that room. I mean, all his teammates say that he works so hard, but for him in that moment, there was this beautiful recognition of how many people have shaped and built him to allow him to go out there and do that. And he plays from a place of this is a privilege. This is a blessing. Not I just, I deserve this or like I earned this. Um, and man, I just, I really sensed his humility in that. And, and it was super refreshing in a world in which I feel like we all want to think we built it all ourselves. And um, so that's, that's what really stuck with me. There's a, uh... Really, I mean, yeah, it brought up so many interesting things, uh, HD, about humility. I think one of my biggest issues with football and just in a lot of sports in general is the ego that tends to get built around a single person. Um, when a team scores and or gets a touchdown or gets into the end zone or whatever it is, and to see someone like puff their own shirt up and to uh, point to themselves in that kind of moment really bothers me uh and it bothers me for a couple reasons one of which and the most important is that uh you're not giving credit to the to the people who who got you in that position in the first place i love when i see a team celebrate together or to see someone immediately go over to the person who threw him the ball and celebrate him rather than celebrating himself um because your ego only will will only get in the way when a challenge arises. Uh, it, it will not help you. It will actually hinder your ability to navigate that challenge in an, in an appropriate and healthy way. And so by puffing up your shirt and by believing that you're this amazing thing and allowing your ego to just go out into the aether, um, uh, it worries me about when the time happens for ether. Ether or aether? Did you say aether? <laughs> ether. Aether. Uh, I was I was wondering if that was just a different dimension that I've never journeyed to, but I think ether you know, is under be. aether. Yeah. Uh, well, but, yeah. Calps, what I'll say about what you're talking about, like the the, I think sometimes, you know, it, it's like the whole idea of like history repeats itself. I think you grow up watching football and you grow up watching certain dudes like celebrate certain ways you watch these like Madden celebrations and then you make it to that level and you're just like, Oh, what do I do? And like, Oh, it's all me, you know? And that just becomes something that, um, I think players just do. Um, personally, I love, I, I agree with you. I love a team celebration. I love to throw like everyone together. Cause it is like, it's the lineman. It's the, the running back. It's a fullback. It's everyone. It takes everyone. Um, but I do love celebrations and, and I do think that they are a, it's a fun way to, I don't know, bring everyone together and, and recognize the achievement of what has happened. It's funny to look at two celebrations and say, oh, this one is for me. And like, I want all the glory and this celebration is about us. And, you know, we just did something really cool. Yeah. I've heard it referred to, and, and I, f I really feel this, and, and maybe this is more my personal value system, but um, this idea of first is third. So like the temptation is to put myself first. 
right? In that video, he puts God first, he puts his teammates and his coaches second, and he puts himself third in terms of the celebration. All three deserve to be celebrated, but the order by which he celebrated those was really intentional. And to me, that's, that just feels healthy. It feels, feels like a really good sense of humility. And um, I know a lot of times I hear those post-game talks and it's like, oh yeah, shout out my teammates, you know, and it, I mean, I'm not saying it's inauthentic, but there's still this sense of the puffed up chest. Like, yeah, it's really me. Uh, yeah. And, and Fletch, yeah. I hear you, but you, you like, let's apply that celebration or that self-indulgent celebration to any other situation outside of sports. And this is kind of my root problem with why I don't support or watch any sports teams is because uh, I believe it's giving men permission to do things that that was that isn't otherwise permissible um, or is okay societally, um, you know. And what do, what do you mean by that? Like pouring popcorn on people's head. <laughs> but how, where do you get that from? Like Grand Theft Auto or something? Like, or like The Simpsons? Like. What's the, uh, uh, you know, you get it because sports enables that behavior. I see what you're saying. Okay. Yeah. You're saying yeah. that the, the sports culture in general enables that. Yep. Um, wh- what about politics? I think politics enables horrible behavior as well. Um, I just wanted to hear you say that. Yep. <laughs> I, I don't think politics is immune to this problem. Um, <laughs> you about to bring in all. a political video, Kelbs? No, no, actually, mine is not at all political. Oh, dude, I wish it was Donald, dude. Oh, I almost almost brought it Donald Duck or Donald Duck, of course. Who's Donald? I don't know. But uh, just to close it out, Fletch, before we move on, I just, I I think um, what's great about this is, and I guess what's great and what's shocking about it is this tends to be more of an anomaly. HD, the video you sent us um, of Stroud, it. I wish I saw more of it, but you know, if I sit down and watch football with some people on a Saturday or a Sunday or whatever football, I guess it's Sunday. Um, you don't see that very often. Actually, you see a lot of terrible behavior that's enabled through, through these masculine environments. And what's unfortunate is a lot of kids from a very young age, that's the only masculine environment in which they're exposed to. So sometimes it can, uh, I think, normalize a behavior in them where they're like, whoa, 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 when they get to later in life and they realize that that behavior is actually not okay um, in other environments outside of sports. So that's kind of where I have an issue with it. Well, if you have an issue, get a tissue. I'm just kidding. Uh, all right. Well, where'd you get yeah, that, that from? Sports Fletch or what? Yeah, probably so. That's probably like one of those old like man things. Like get a beer. Literally, almost every single terrible like typical phrase you hear from guys comes from some coach in a practice who, like, was like toughen up. You know, like <laughs> who probably had the exact same coach and he just became the coach that he had once. It told him right. to rub some dirt on it well literally you listen to will date uh, my brother will in in literally the amount of times he'll bring up this moment in high in a uh, high school when he's on jv football and his coach literally compared him to a trash can damn it davis <laughs> you're like a trash can out there <laughs> he literally has never let it go like it made him quit sports it like it still is something i think he's healing from <laughs> dude what is that god that is that's 
awful to hear. Yeah. Like I'd rather be like so many different things in a trap. Are you kidding me? What does uh, that even mean? That he's just garbage out there and not moving or it's, I think he's still trying to figure out what it means. <laughs> oh wow. He 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 has everything that everyone doesn't want in one one person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the thing like he's literally like 16 years old and this grown 60 yeah, year old man is yelling at him, calling him a trash can. Let's analyze this metaphor like, a little deeper and see where we're, where we're coming from. And like what other world is that? Okay. Like that person would get fired immediately. <laughs> oh my goodness. Could you imagine if he was an intern? <laughs> and he didn't like make copies the right way. <laughs> Dude, it sounds like it's straight out of like Family Guy oh, or like it, American Dad. It, it reminds me of the Terry Tate office linebacker videos. Mm. If you remember those? And it, it was course. literally that concept, Mackenzie, where uh, where it's like this big linebacker, middle linebacker, like massive jacked football player in an office culture. And so if like someone would do something, and it's a parody video. So like if someone did something wrong, he's like just running from yeah. out of screen and just destroying yeah. them or like – um, but I think it, to me, it shows kind of how absurd sports culture is. If you take, pick it up and drop it into any other world, any other, you apply the yeah. same standards and you're like, what? what? <laughs> I mean, there's so many like comedic sketches and commercials where they like put one of those famous like football players in an office setting or something. Yeah. And they like just make him cause so much chaos because he's just this meathead jock in a, in a, in a non-masculine environment. And uh, they use it as comedy, but there's some truth in this idea yeah. that oh, this masculine standard that we have in sports did, does not transfer well in any other environment. All right, it's time, Mackenzie. <laughs> well, mine is a little more bleak than what we've been we've been going through. Um, so, for con- some context on mine, I've really been diving into a lot of research on specifically the friend deficit that a lot of men experience. And naturally it's brought me to uh, addressing male suicide. And there's this author named Richard Reeves and he wrote this book called Of Boys and Men. It is an extremely revealing book about the current gender pay gap, the uh, college education uh, amongst men, uh, just education in general. Uh, and then he he starts diving a little bit into suicide. And there's a couple interesting points and stuff that came from that. Uh, so much so that after the book was published, Richard uh, decided to start a organization called the American Institute of Boys and Men. And they just released their first study uh, because they're kind of set out to try to normalize uh, gender differences between um, our genders and our culture and normalize some of the problems that are going on with men more so than women. And the first thing they revealed really an interesting fact, which is a lot of times in these studies on suicide, they study groups. So they'll like look at like military veterans and white collar workers and they'll look at the poverty line and all these things and like economic levels, all that. But they're not actually just straight up distinguishing between men and women, how many men are are, are um, taking their life versus how many women are taking their life. So the first study that the AIBM 
uh, first released was about male suicide specifically. And there's some interesting things that have really come up from it. Uh, first of which, and I'll share this with you guys now. The first thing is this idea that suicide is now the third leading cause of, uh, for those men under 45 in the United States in terms of cause of death. And this has risen over the past two decades. Uh, I can't remember what it was before, but now it is now the third leading cause of death amongst men. And um, for every four men who take their life, generally there tends to be only one woman who takes theirs. And I think it's a real detriment that the conversation is focused on highlighting just the demographics in which they are traditionally oppressed by society and not taking a look at actually some of the people we might view as most privileged in our society, white middle-aged men, are actually the ones who are taking their lives at an alarming rate compared to some of these other demographics that we really try to highlight in the national conversation. And so I'd love to get your guys' thoughts on this on this idea of suicide really being on the rise amongst middle-aged white men in the United States. And there's some other statistics I want to show you guys, but I just want to get your first impressions of this. First off, this is super heavy. And if you're listening to this and are going through anything, um, dude, reach out for help. Um, none of us on this podcast are trained therapists. We're not licensed in that way. We are just guys who want to have conversations that matter. Um, but I just want to take a quick pause and say, if you're going through something really dark, um, don't let that darkness swallow you and reach out for some help. Yeah, it was, um, I appreciate you saying that Fletch. I think it's super important. Um, it's interesting you're bringing this up today because this morning, actually, we were in a school right outside of Charlotte doing a suicide prevention talk um, and just recognizing, you know, the alarming rates, not just middle aged, but um, that's happening amongst youth especially in terms of ideation, um, but also suicide becoming, I believe it's the second leading cause of death amongst young people. Um, so I don't know what would be first and second here. Um, and the framework we went through uh, was this idea of observe. So understanding the signs to look for in suicide, ask, like literally being willing to just ask the question like, hey, Mackenzie, are you considering taking your own life? Like, is that something yeah. that you're thinking? Like, obviously, you know, just the willingness to say it. Um, refer what Fletch just said, Hey, reach out for help. And if, if I've noticed that in someone like being willing to say, Hey, uh, can I put you in touch with this person? I'm going to call your, call your parent. Who can I, who can I reach out to? Um, and then staying involved, just checking in with them and, and being willing to, to stay involved in their lives. And so I share that just cause it's, it's super fresh for me. And this conversation is so important. And uh, I think what you're getting at, Mackenzie, is is perhaps just something a lot of people don't realize and know. It's not something I knew until I started digging into this more, having conversations with you, um, that there is not a relationship between privilege. There is there is not a direct, it's an indirect relationship between privilege and suicide, honestly, like that the more privileged yeah. you are, 
chances are the higher your risk of suicide. And, and I, and I guess, what does that, what does that say about, um, the way we view one another, right. And like how we view each other's pain. Um, and I, I have some friends, you know, I, I would say I grew up privileged and, and I, and, and in that category, and I've had some, I'm, I'm now friends with people that, that didn't. And we've had conversations where, um, I have a friend who was like, I literally thought rich people didn't have, I couldn't imagine what they would struggle with. Like what pain yeah. would they have? Um, and so to hear that and, and realize, you know, we all experience our pain in the same way. It doesn't matter what it is. I think what happens amongst a privileged population is there's a lot of shame around feeling that way because, well, I have everything I need, right? So if I already have everything I think I should want and I'm still this miserable, there's nowhere else for me to go. Whereas I think if I don't have the things, I, I'm, I don't have the car, I don't have the the house, I don't have the things that feel like they would maybe fill that void, then I can still keep pushing. But once you've reached the top and have everything you could ever imagine, there feels like there's nowhere else to go. I mean, that, that's how I understand why that may be the case, but I'm curious what y'all think. Yeah, um, you're spot on. I think this is one major element of the problem, which is anyone who feels as though they're in a privileged position and are told they're in a privileged position no longer feel like they have a say or no longer feel like it's justified for them to have these problems that they may be having. I also think it's the traditional masculine environment that is causing this as well because we are teaching boys to not communicate when they're struggling because communication of a struggle or a problem or depression um, means that you're weak or means that you're more feminine than uh, a more masculine image that you should be striving for. So I think it's a, it's, it's literally these two things coming together with white men specifically that are causing the suicide rate to rise. And there's a lot of other statistics that dive, in, dive into this as well, which is the population that has the least amount of empathy and compassion from all other demographics is white men. And uh, I think it's because of this point of privilege. And it just is an extra piece of validation that, oh, you have money, you live in a house, you have a family, shut up. Don't talk. You don't get to be a part of this conversation. You don't get to say that you're struggling. And I think that's a major, major issue. And one of the things that I found really striking was my assumption before reading this report is that we see a decline in male suicide the older men get but it's actually the opposite. Uh, and so this graph I found extremely uh, disturbing. And this is, it's divided between men and women and it shows per 100,000 deaths in the United States by age, how many of them are men and women committing suicide. And you actually see this graph kind of level off at 25 to 34 and stay at the same rate amongst men between until they get to around 64 and then just skyrockets at 65 plus. And so I think what this really shows is this element that the masculine, the traditional masculine things you're striving for in life kind of lead you to a dead end a lot of the time. 
men get prosecuted for not being man enough and men get prosecuted for being too manly, for being too successful. So if both ends of the sword equal prosecution, men realize, oh my gosh, through this life of delayed gratification of going to college, getting a degree, getting a well-paying job, being able to raise a family, they're finding themselves still getting prosecuted and not ever reaching that feeling of, I'm content with life. I feel good. I feel purpose. I feel worthiness. Uh, because we prosecute those who do get to that point on a, on a uh, economic and occupational level. And I think that's, that's a real detriment. And so I want to get your thoughts on this. Mm. I'm hearing both you guys. And what's coming up for me is the fact that I think what we get sold is more, more, more. And what ends up happening is you get to the job, you get to the car, you get to everything. And then it's like, what, what, what now? Like you think all of this, this is supposed to be a perfect concoction and recipe for happiness. And if you, if you think the outside things and the outside sources are going to bring you happiness and they don't, and you've just spent your whole life and, and so much of your time and energy going towards those things, then it's a letdown and it can lead you down a dark hallway. Um, and I think that those that time in which you should be developing those communication skills, Mackenzie, you are a lot of times boys aren't <laughs> and men are just on the, the Ferris wheel or the hamster wheel as to what can I do to be more productive? And that productivity culture is something that is put up on a pedestal. Um, and, you know, I think you see it in a very heightened way in like the investment banking world up in like New York City and everything. I mean, I remember going up to visit one of my friends and I went and saw him and he literally had like these awful bags under his eyes. And I'm like, bro, what's going on? And he's like, I'm just working, working, working. And hey, you know, to each their own is what I'll say, because I'm not here to judge, like do what you got to do. And like, what, what are you going to do? Do this for the rest of your life? Like, like, is this, is this you in happiness? Like, I, I think men forget that they are active creators of their lifestyle and how they, they can pick and choose. They don't have to fall victim to what they think they should be doing. That's good. Yeah. Mackenzie, you brought up this idea and I, I think it goes off what you're saying, Fletch of delayed gratification. Like there is this sense in which we're always living for the future. Like that next thing, this chart is really interesting because the highest number for men is 65 plus, right? Which gets at, to me, it's like, well, yeah, there's, there's hope because, well, the expectation of a future reward, which is really the dopamine system to begin with is the expectation of a future reward, right? And, and the more the expectation, the higher the dop dopamine release. But if the dopamine doesn't release, it's, we're just always pushing that off because we're expecting a higher reward, whether it's like in, in college, well, I can't wait to get that job. And then the job, it's like, well, if only I get this enough to get the house, 
And then the house comes and it's, well, if only I get enough to send my kids to college. And then eventually you're, you're working to retirement and then you get to retirement and you're like, oh my gosh, what's the next reward? Yeah. And yeah. Everything yeah I think retirement becomes this like purgatory. Like they don't know where to go. Well, you guys, you got, you're hitting it spot on because, um, Richard Reeves cites a study where they found that the two most common words that men use in suicide notes are they're worthless and useless. Mm -hmm. And I think it goes to that. Once you get to this point of your family moves out, you're retired, so you no longer have a job, you're left to ask this fundamental question. How am I still worthy in the world? And that's a difficult thing to to answer at that age. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I, uh, I think a lot of things go into this, which is I think the friendship deficit amongst men is something that can help prevent this. Uh, I tweeted a couple weeks ago about this and it got some, some traction where I was talking about how today, uh, 15% of men say they have no friends at all, no close friends at all. And in 1990, it was only 3%. And out of this entire pool of men, only 25% have ever said, I love you to another man. And I think this friendship deficit is causing, as you get older, uh, big problems. We talked about how to get deeper friends on the pod a couple weeks ago, but uh, we see this really play out as men get older. When they no longer have a wife, or let's say, you know, their wife is retired and no longer is exposing you to some of the social circle circles that she has, you're kind of stuck realizing that, oh my gosh, I've made no close friends in my life. And that's a really difficult thing for a lot of men oh. to process. Uh, on the other hand, with this delayed gratification element, uh, Fletch, I found in my work that a lot of men don't know what the end goal is. And what I mean by that is they oftentimes get really uncomfortable with praise. When someone says, gosh, you, you have done such an amazing job or you have been such an amazing worker or you've been such an amazing father, they don't like to accept a compliment like that. It's very uncomfortable for them. And when I ask them why, they're like, well, I just feel like I haven't reached what I was expecting. And so then the follow-up question always gets asked, which is, well, what are you expecting? What does success look like for you? When can you get to the point where you can actually accept praise? Mm. Frame that. What does it look like? And they are never able to answer the question. They don't know. After all this gratification, because they're only moving from one thing to another, they're only going from, okay, I need to go to college now. Okay, I need to get a degree. I need to get a job. I need to raise a family. That yeah. they don't actually stop for a second and realize, what do I need? What are my wants and needs in order to feel like a man? Mm-hmm. Hey, I know you're using the day a lot. I'm like, I'm, I feel you on that. Like uh, that's a, that's a me sometimes, uh, oftentimes. Dude, yes. Yeah. Like it, it's a real thing. And, um, that I guess, you know, if you think about the, the difference between our reality 
and our expectation being our disappointment. Um, if we don't even know our reality, we're just always in disappointment. And just challenging that, confronting that, I think that's that's a really healthy healthy thing to be be thinking about as we you know kind of close out the pod here. I'm gonna end with uh, maybe a lighter note here because um, I think we just went through a, the last one was a little heavier. But I was driving around my little brother's car for a while, and he just went back up to school, so I'm carless. Um, you no longer <laughs> have the bean. No, dude, the bean the bean was liquidated at the bean, perfect it's bean time. Gone. Yeah. Wow. Thank How you. long was that ago? Uh, a couple decades. Anyway, I've been driving a uh, I've been driving a van around. Um, so you know, it's very much like a dad mobile. And more of a I look like, mobile. what's up? I think it's more of a grandpa. Mobile. Grandpa, dad. And, you know, the yeah. first word that comes up to me when I think about a man driving a van is provider, right? And I think so many times men are so excited to get into that role of being a provider. Like, this is my family and so proud that they just forget that as that it's such a gift to do that. And as they're stepping into those new chapters, to also just be intentional with make sure you're providing for yourself and your heart and your internal environment. So that means spending time with communities, with friends, um, and doing things that fill you up. So those become habits as you provide for your family. Yeah, and adding a framework to that, Fletch. Um I find that a lot of guys, when I ask them, what do they want? They'll give me what they want in terms of results. I want to be, I want freedom. I want financial freedom. I want a nice house. I want to be able to not have to check my bank account before I go to the grocery store. You know, I want these things. But they never cite the mission they want to get there. And that's, I think, the biggest deficit is men lack mission. And in order to get the things you want in life, you have to have a mission to get there. And we don't do the work to understand what it is, what it is I want to do. My mission over the past two years, I've worked on constantly to get to something really clear so that I can get through the grunt work. I can get through the parts of my job that I don't like. Because I, the mission is constant in my brain. It's so clear that I'll do anything to make sure that my mission continues. And uh, a lot of guys don't have that framework. So what I would recommend for a lot of guys is to, is to ask that question and do that intentional work of what is the mission of my life? Mm. Cal, do you, do you have yours memorized? I'd love to hear it. My mission is to help reveal and have men access tools that can help them feel like they have purpose and feel like they are worthy. And uh, I do that through the men's groups I facilitate. I do that through coaching. I do that through the podcast with you guys. I do that through all these different elements. I do that with our films. I do that with being an associate director at a camp. I'm doing this in all these different aspects because I constantly remind myself that there are tons for every one boy or man that I try to impact. There's 10 out there that are living a life 
where they feel depressed, where they feel like they can't share anything, where they feel like they're that that suicide or that depression are their the only thing that's left in their life. And my mission is to, yeah. to have them break free of that and use accountability as an asset in that regard rather than a uh, uh, a negative thing. Thanks, man. Yeah, I feel like sometimes it's helpful for people to hear those missions, those examples, and how that can look and feel. Um, and you, you started to mention this, and it, maybe it's just my closing point, uh, especially given the nature of the conversation. A lot of times people think suicide is selfish, like this idea of like ending your own life. How could you do that? It's so selfish. It's, it's usually one of the most selfless things, at least in people's heads. When they're, when they're going to take that step, it's usually incomplete selflessness. The world is better without me. People are, people are better without me. Um, I think it's just good to, to remember that's just completely not true. Like the world is not better without any of us. Like we really, uh, it needs all of us. And um, I know sometimes those lies can get sneaky, but um, if, that's, if that's you, just know that's, that's not true. Like, um, and, and maybe that's the kind of what you're talking about, both you guys in the sense of being able to celebrate ourse- yourself and like appreciate yourself and take what you need. And um, it's just recognizing not, not the people around you need you, love you. And, uh, and I hope that we all can remember that because it's not just a, a, a thing when it comes to suicide ideation. I think it's a, something we all should remember in our everyday life. Like we actually are add value to the people's lives around us. And if we can know that, then we can hopefully add even more. Yeah. Yeah. And don't throw popcorn on people. <laughs> That's a shame. Sirianni's gluten-free. <laughs> Is he really? What if he's allergic to the corn, dude? That would just, ah. Uh, and or then the his scalp. Or the butter. I know, dude. dude he knew what chance. he was getting into, though, when he signed up to be, be the coach of that team. That's for sure. Um, all right, fellas. Peace and love. Fletch, final word. Nemo. Hey, guys. Thanks for getting to the end with us. We really appreciate y'all being here. Um, make sure wherever you're listening to this to go rate it and share it with a friend. Uh, it really helps get the word out there about this podcast. And there's one more thing that I really want to share with you guys. Beyond the Beat, which is a film we've been working on for the last several years, is officially live on Amazon. This is a big deal for us, and we really uh, would love to hear what you guys think about it. So go and watch Beyond the Beat. It's this story about these three amazing friends who started a creative arts festival in the wake of a two-decade civil war in northern Uganda. The film explores the potential and the power of art and creativity uh, to inspire communities and really to bring healing in our lives and and, in communities all around the world. Um, We think there's a ton of value in it and we had a blast making it. Uh, So please go go check it out and let us know what you think and we'll see you next week. Peace y'all.